Hello and welcome to Devil Stint at Sebring, SportsCard 365's coverage of this year's Super Sebring event. I'm Jonathan Grace and I'm joined today by SportsCard 365 Editor-in-Chief John DeGeese. And today we'll talk about what was a busy day on track for both the World Endurance Championship and the IMSA WeatherTech SportsCard Championship. John, there was certainly no shortage of track action today. No, it seemed like it never ended almost, um, but we were treated some really good runs, particularly in qualifying for the 1,000 miles of Sebring that we'll be catching up on shortly. There are plenty of support series in action today as well. We'll start with the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Robbie Foley and Vin Barletta took victory in the number 96 Turner Motorsport BMW. Uh, a fantastic victory for them in what was an incident-filled race uh, to, to kind of cap what's been an incident-filled weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Robbie took the lead with about 20 minutes to go. There were a lot of accidents in, in the race that sort of brought the two-hour showdown in into some jeopardy at some points, but... We believe it's the first victory in worldwide competition for the BMW G82 model M4 GT4, um, which would be a huge achievement for the brand after just debuting the car to customers this year. Great stuff for Turner, 1-2 finish. Um, The KMW with TMR Engineering Alpha took TCR class honors in a little bit of a controversial fashion. We saw Tim Lewis get ahead of the number 33 Brian Herta Autosport Hyundai Elantra NTCR of Robert Wickens just before a full course yellow was deployed and it sort of came back to a a bit of a a photo finish there to see who was ahead at the time of the yellow. Ultimately, it was the Alpha and they took the win in TCR. We are also treated to a pair of really exciting rounds from the Porsche Deluxe Carrera Cup North America, uh, and really not much more to say other than Riley Dickinson stole the show. It was kind of a Grand Slam weekend for the number 53 Kelly Moss driver. Dickinson led every practice session. He set the two fastest times in qualifying and set the fastest race lap in race one and race two, and, and he was victorious in both races as well. Really doesn't get much better than that, so Riley Dickinson, the clear favorite at the first round of the season, they'll head to Long Beach for rounds three and four in April. Well, John, let's talk about some of the track action for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the World Endurance Championship. And I think we have to start with Ferrari's shocking pole position in WEC. Uh, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Dan and I were talking about it uh, in a previous episode that Toyota really has looked the class of the field. They've looked almost unbeatable at times. And all of a sudden, uh, Antonio Fuoco pulls uh, some incredible pace out of the bag. That Ferrari looked genuinely fast, and the number 50 car is on pole for the 1,000 miles of Sebring. An unbelievable lap, a 145.067 in qualifying. Fuoco beat Brendan Hartley by more than two-tenths of a second, which was an extremely impressive run by the Italian. I, I like you said, I don't think anybody expected Ferrari to uh, to get pole in its debut outing in the hypercar class in the World Endurance Championship. I just talking with people before qualifying, it was kind of be like which Toyota is going to get pole, and it almost seemed like the the story of old, where you know we were trying to figure out you know which Toyota gets the the top qualifying spot and would puts them in the in prime position, but um, Fuoco sort of pulled this one out of the bag and was considerably quicker than his teammate, um, uh, Alessandro Pierguidi in the sister number 51, a, of course, uh, um, Ferrari in, in, in the session. So that was also interesting. And, and another note, um, the, the gap between the quickest LMH car Fuoco and the quickest LMDH car, the, the Chip Ganassi racing Cadillac was up close to, I think over right around one second. So, 
quite a bit of a distance there between the two cars, two platforms. Again, I think we're still very early into all of this balance of performance. And you can see a good story by Dan Lloyd on Sports Car 365 sort of providing an overview into some of the changes in the BOP process for this year, which is quite interesting. We had a really good chat with the FIA and ACO about it on Wednesday. Um, but nonetheless, um, history was made on Thursday evening at Sebring with Ferrari's triumphant return to top prototype class racing and claiming pole in its first qualifying attempt. Yeah, it was actually really exciting to be in the media center at this time because everybody, regardless of whatever team they were working for or organization they were representing, was eyes glued to the screen when they realized, oh my goodness, Ferrari might actually do this. The car has kind of been the talk of the town, at least in the LMH camp. It, it looks spectacular. I, I think that's just an objective fact. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody was disappointed to see Ferrari on pole, maybe the Toyota camp. Uh, but either way, it's an excellent debut for the 50 car and for Ferrari, of course, as a whole. Uh, you mentioned the, the, the pace difference between the 51. I, I think, too, it's, it's important to note that the 51 has is, is had significantly less track running than the 52. So maybe that is contributing, but uh, the driver lineups are, are fairly stacked in, in both Ferraris. So uh, this makes the 1,000 miles a lot more interesting. Uh, of course, race pace will be the name of the game, and, and Toyota has been at this a long time, but it's, it's hard to deny the fact that that Ferrari is properly quick. Yeah, and they've really brought on pace over the course of today, um, that was the real surprise. They didn't. They gradually have, have gained some some speed over since the start of free practice one and two and on Wednesday, but um, really came to four on on Thursday um, as we're recording this. So um, really I- impressive stuff. And also another interesting note: this is a of course it becomes the first team in WEC history to have scored pole positions in every major category. Um, they obviously weren't in the top prototype class until now and uh, the italian squad now gets it done with a pole position in hypercar to go along with their lmp2 gte pro gte am and and so on uh, class pole positions uh, over the years in, in the wvc well i guess john it just goes to show when ferrari comes to the party they come to play and they mean business uh, and as we said the thousand miles is going to be very very interesting to watch in LMP2, it was Oliver Jarvis uh, aboard the United Autosports number 23 machine, uh, and we were treated to an excellent battle for the GTE Ampol. Ben Keating and Sarah Bovey dueling it out. Sarah Bovey and the Iron Dame squad coming out on top taking pole position in the first round of the season. Uh, but it was a really, really excellent battle to watch between the 911 RSR and that Corvette. A uh, very exciting qualifying session and a great result for Bovey. Yeah, and both drivers were new to those cars. You have to remember that this is the first race with the Iron Dames running a, a Porsche 911 RSR 19. And this was obviously Ben's first race weekend with the Corvette C8R. So they were still coming to grips with their new packages and um, great to see a, a very close-fought battle. And I, I think this is going to set up for a really great race on Friday between those two teams. And there's some other GTEM contenders that are definitely going to play a factor as well. Well, John, let's move into talking about the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And it's really hard to talk about IMSA the last couple of days without mentioning the Meyershank racing story and, and uh, how that all has evolved. Uh, we now have new statements, exclusive statements made uh, by Wayne Taylor to Sports Car 365, along with some comments by Philippe Albuquerque, uh, just about the whole matter. And John, you were able to speak to Wayne. What were some of his thoughts on the matter? Both Wayne and Philippe seemed pretty upset about how this whole thing went down and are still kind of disappointed in some of the aftermath as well. Yeah, I think the big thing coming from both of them is the fact that they allegedly claim that 
they got no apology from the Meyer Shank Racing team. There was no communication after the penalty was issued or anything before in the build-up to that because it had been known for for quite some time that the the MSR car had had this infraction. But while, while we were waiting for IMSA to ultimately issue the penalties, which came last week, and, and it seemed like that both Wayne and and Philippe were just disappointed in the team atmosphere with Meyer Schenk, considering this was the first year of this new partnership where they were sharing data and and working at closer than ever together as as two factory Acura teams, and and it sort of felt like a disheartening moment, you know, that this happened in in the race and. Sure, the Wayne Taylor racing with Andretti Autosport Acura finished second in the race, and and Wayne even admitted that he thinks he believes that if the roles were reversed, he would have asked IMSA to relinquish to win and give the Rolexes to the second place finishers because he'd felt that if the team like that would have had that, that type of infraction, they wouldn't have deserved the win. So. Um, quite some bold comments from Wayne and, and and Philippe as well. You can check the story on Sports Car 365. Um, easiest way to find it because we have so many articles on the website this week is to to go into the IMSA section on the website and and click read more um, further down on the tab because I think we have more than twenty articles up since we published this. But um, nonetheless, um, really candid responses and um, certainly this has still been a talk of the paddock and. Um, it, it seems like it's probably not going away anytime soon. Yeah, you mentioned, and I think you said it perfectly the first time we brought it up uh, on the Double Stint at Sebring episodes, was it sent shockwaves through the paddock. I think everybody is, is still feeling those and still kind of adjusting and coming to terms with the whole thing. This is this is really fairly uncharacteristic for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, and I think everybody is, is kind of learning how to deal with uh, a, a scandal of this scale and of this magnitude. But either way, the sport does go on, and it will go on this weekend. But nonetheless, this has been a huge story, and as you said, will continue to be a huge story as we move forward. Also in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, plenty of track running today as well, capping off the evening with some night practice. And uh, boy, if you thought Michelin Pilot Challenge was busy, uh, wait till you see IMSA night practice at Sebring. It, it sounded like, just from listening to some of the driver interviews, that people were having a really difficult time judging their braking points. Uh, you, you can imagine how difficult it is to, to drive on a racetrack at night when temps are cooler and some of your visual references go away. But Sebring is a dark track. There really are not that many lights around. And you can think for for maybe a bronze-rated driver or someone with not a ton of experience at this track, it can be pretty treacherous out there. And, and we saw that uh, in the form of five red flags during the session. Yeah, there were a couple um, accidents, unfortunately. Both um, Kelly Moss with Riley, Porsche's had some run-ins. The Gradient Racing Acura lost a wheel and stopped on track. But both Acura LMDH cars um, also stopped on track to bring out separate red flags due to some electrical issues. So there was a variety of issues going on during the 90-minute night session. And unfortunately, not a lot of teams got any running, significant running in during the night. And that could affect potentially some of the drivers that were required to complete their minimum amount of laps during the night practice in order to be qualified for nighttime running during the race. Um, We'll have to wait and see what IMSA race director Bo Barfield and the IMSA committee decides on that. I, I would assume force majeure could be in, in the play because more, I think close to half of the session was run, was actually behind a red flag um, for one reason or another. So a real chaotic session. Luckily, no serious damage from any of the cars. Um, the Kelly Moss team is going to be working 
probably through the night to get the cars ready for qualifying, but it looks like both cars were relatively okay. Um, we had two other sessions earlier in the day, and that showed a little bit more representative running. Yeah, it, it, was, it was an interesting evening for sure at, at, at Sebring. So Alexander Sims was quickest in the night practice session. We saw both him and Pipo Durrani put in really good laps uh, over the course of the session. Uh, Jack Aiken actually looked really strong as well in the number 31. We, we know that the 31 is is plenty quick at Sebring in years past in the DPI era. Of Obviously, this is now with the new Cadillac V-Series.R. Uh, but either way, the 31 looked plenty quick, although overall in the day, it was Tom Blomquist in the number 60 Meyershank Racing Acura that had the quickest time of the day in the WeatherTech Championship. Yeah, that was a 147.049 lap time set in practice two, and that was quicker than Philippe Albuquerque's time from the morning session. So um, it looks like the Acuras are definitely quick, but they're a bit fragile right now, um, dealing with some electrical issues. It seems like both cars have had similar gremlins, and that doesn't give you a lot of confidence going into a 12-hour race. We've seen issues before crop up with cars in, in GTP at Daytona, and then all of a sudden, it seems to go a lot better in the race. You know, like we were talking here a couple of weeks ago that, you know, how much the, the, the Rolex 24 brought up a lot of surprises of how well the race unfolded in terms of, re, of a reliability standpoint. So um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But I, I, I think I would sort of come into the race looking at the Acura as being still the fastest. Um, we have qualifying to run on, on Friday morning, and I would probably expect an Acura to be on pole. But the Cadillacs look extremely strong from a reliability standpoint, from a completing a full stint standpoint. There's only two of them this weekend because the number two car has gone off to WEC full time. So they don't have as many cars in their arsenal, but still, they still have the, they still have the same number of cars that the, that the Acura stable has. So um, it'll be definitely interesting going into the 12 hour. Um, if I had to pick a car, it, it probably would be either the 01 or the 31 at this point. Um, both have seemed very strong and cons- consistent, not many problems. Um, we saw the BMW behind the wall with some issues earlier um, today. The Porsches haven't really been ultimately having the, 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 the pace that probably would be needed to win right now. But again, it's still a bit early. They have a lot of data to go to pour over given their experience in WEC and all the sessions they've run there. So um, really interesting and intriguing in GTP for sure. Absolutely. We're very, very excited for that race. And uh, as you said, they'll qualify on Friday. But on Friday, we will also see the 1,000 miles of Sebring. And I definitely want your predictions on that as well. Uh, Of course, on pure pace, if today's anything to go by, that 50 Ferrari is is a sure bet as well. We know Toyota is, is strong here, although last year at Sebring didn't exactly go to plan for Toyota, so anything can happen in an endurance race. I wouldn't count out the number two Cadillac as well, uh, even though it may be a little bit off the pace in terms of outright speed. Uh, again, if, if you run a clean race and you're consistent, which the Cadillacs have certainly been in IMSA, and it looks like they've absolutely been in WEC running so far, anything can happen, and, and they could definitely be a contender for a win as well. Yeah, I always thought the number two Cadillac was a dark horse pick for, for the thousand miles of Sebring, and I think that's still holds true um, they were lacking ultimate pace in qualifying a second off the Ferrari but then again a lot can happen over the course of eight hours in in the thousand miles of Sebring so I, I'd say dark horse pick is the Cadillac easy pick is a Toyota but I think Ferrari is definitely going to play a factor considering the pace they showed in qualifying 
Either way, plenty to look forward to. And of course, we'll have all the coverage for you on sportscar365.com. It'll be a busy weekend, so make sure to stay tuned to us on the website. And of course, you can follow along on all of our social media channels as well. And of course, via podcast as well. While this is our last double stint at Sebring episode for the Super Sebring event, we will be back to our regularly scheduled double stint episodes next Tuesday. And we can't wait to unpack everything with you then. Uh, We'll certainly have a lot to talk about from the 1,000 miles of Sebring and the 12 hours of Sebring uh, to wrap up what has been an excellent couple weeks down here in Florida. Until then, on behalf of John DeGeese, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you next week as we get back to our normal Double Stint episodes. But that's all for now for Double Stint at Sebring. 